The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to the peripheral. Apologize for the impromptu delay of this episode. I have multiple interviews lined up and I will be releasing hopefully two this month. I have a few quick announcements. For anyone that doesn't know, I appeared on A Crime to Remember. It aired on February 10th, which was last Saturday. Episode 1, Season 5. Episode name is Once Upon a Crime. No relation to Esther's wonderful podcast. Uh, It's about the Clutter family murders or the In Cold Blood story. I'd like to point people to the latest There Might Be Cupcakes episode. My friend Carla over there has put out... uh, episode 34 this girl just had a bad date i think it's a powerful episode which sheds some light on some of the latest current events also i made another appearance on the Sexland podcast so check out their latest and greatest about stalkers i've been on a few other podcasts lately uh i was on the continuous play podcast uh A little while back in September, we reviewed The Thing, the movie by John Carpenter. And finally, I was on the holiday special of Minds of Madness, so check that one out. Oh, and I almost forgot. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody. On today's episode, we're going to talk about extreme narcissism and domestic violence. They seem to go hand in hand. It's something we have visited before in the past, and I typically do not like to cover the same topic over and over again, Uh, but after I put out an episode, I always get so many emails from people that want to tell their stories that relate to it, and I wish I could tell all your stories, I I promise you. Uh, But this one I felt was important. My two guests are wonderful. My first guest has an interesting introduction, so check it out. My name is Marina. I'm currently living in Sweden, and I am from Russia, from Siberian thoughts, and I am a sociopath. (laughs) To start with, I would like to make a little notion, because being a sociopath or a psychopath, it's such a stigma in society, I think, because... First thing people think is that you are a homicidal maniac without any feelings, I would think. Yeah. It's not quite like this, I think. <laughs> if anybody heard to the Sword and Scale episode with this doctor, you know, who told that he was a psychopath, sort of, I can relate to him because I don't really interpret feelings in the same way as regular people do. I don't have any sense of shame ever. There is nothing anyone can do to me which I would be feeling ashamed of. It's just I don't have it. For example, I don't know if my boyfriend or my friends, they're going to be afraid to do something in public for me. It's not a problem, not a problem to 
see me with the children or anything like this. I can't feel much empathy for people. I know I should. That's how most of everything in the emotion spectrum works for me. Mm-hmm. I know I should be feeling some emotions in some cases, and I know I should react in a special way. Growing up, that was a struggle for me because I have this sort of codex for myself with like rules, which is good and which is not good to do. And I often expect people to act in a certain way, and when they don't because they have emotions, Oh, wow. It was really hard to comprehend for me. Uh-huh. I always try to be completely honest. Doesn't matter in which regard. If you ask me, I will tell you, and that would be truth. And people don't do that. This, it's still even now when I'm 25, it's still really hard for me to get it. The small example is my friend couldn't come to a Christmas party with us, and she saw told me that she has the problems at her house, at her in her family. And I said, okay, it, ha- it happens, it's okay. But then I saw her <laughs> hanging out with other people at a party. I saw a picture of it. So she lied to me, and I made a big thing of it. And I'm not a friend of her anymore because she lied to me. It's really hard for me to comprehend why people just don't tell truth. Because for me, it wouldn't be a problem. But she doesn't tell truth, well, because she felt uncomfortable, ashamed, or didn't want to hurt my feelings, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I don't get it. And it's been a couple of years since that issue. And I talk to my boyfriend and I, I always ask him to explain, well, why do they do that? Or why do they do that other thing? And then he explained me, well, because they feel this way. And that's a little bit harder for me. People could often say that I can be cruel and I try not to be. That's, that's how it goes. <laughs> Well, I think that you, you've always been this way. You've never really had a uh, context to what it's what it's like to consider other people's feelings, consider your own feelings, try to balance out, well, if I say this and I'm truthful, then I hurt everyone else's feelings. But if I tell a white lie, then I might save somebody you know, embarrassment or something like that. And you're trying to wrap your head around that. And you're like, just tell the truth. I can take it. And yeah, you know, most, most I understand of it, yeah. the concept is just, I, I don't comprehend it to some point. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit alienating for me to do that because I like the things the way they are. And I don't like to be told something else. So just, I could feel better. <laughs> I just had a situation in my family where my niece had to, deal with some family situations and I actually advised her to hold back information because it might hurt other people's feelings. I'm like, just don't say anything. Just just put it off until later. And then she was accused of lying and everybody was mad and I'm like, oh my God, I gave her bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't relate to that. Yeah. But because of this, I'm generally quite introverted person. I don't really like to hang out with people so much so i don't have many friends and the thing is if they lie to me and people lie all the time it's normal in society they do but for me it's very hard to take the lie and i expect a brutal honesty and not everyone can do that yeah my also expectations of right and wrong is also affecting people because they don't operate this way Mm -hmm. so that can be also a problem in my life, which I tried to deal with. I tried to learn not to be the way I am. 
but it can be challenging. However, it's it's my nature. At least you're acknowledging it and trying to be more uh, empathetic towards others and accept them for all of our flaws, whatever the, those may be. <laughs> I think that the way I am is both by uh, nature and nurture because often people think and ask if it's one or another, but I think for me it's both. My father has many mental issues, undiagnosed, but it's clear that he is not okay. When he was younger, he proclaimed that he hated people and he hated his family. At some point, he tried to burn the house. He tried to grab the gun and wanted to shut his family. And he got arrested for this. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much he was in jail for this. And by the way, he denies it all to me. But my mom <laughs> is aware of that. Going back to my childhood, when, we, when I lived back there, when we were small, um, we lived in a tiny house. We were kind of poor, so in a poverty line. We lived in a one-and-a-half-room house and... Well, coming from Siberia, it is very cold. Half of the year you have a winter up to minus 60 degrees Celsius in the winter. Ouch. Yeah, very, very dark most of the time. And the problem is that we lived on the first ground floor. And in Siberia, most of the houses, they are built on pillars on, or on some platforms so that your house is not directly laying on the ground because the ground is always frozen. It's permafrost, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yes. And in the spring, though, because our house was standing directly on the ground, we would get flooded a lot. All this water from the ground in this area we lived from, it was very, very dirty. And me and my brother got sick very often. I remember once when I was small, my mom took me away and she wanted to leave my father because of his instabilities. And he tricked her into coming home so just so she could pick up her clothes and her stuff. He grabbed the axe and threatened to kill her if she dared to move or dared to leave. And then he left and picked me up and so my mom stayed. So that's one story about my childhood and my dad. The other one was that my mom and my brother, because my brother is younger than me and he got sick because of all the floods all the time. Mm -hmm. And he was in the hospital with my mom and I was alone at home and I was, I think I was around four years old. And there was so much water and my father wasn't at home. For grown-ups probably it was not so much, but for me I was just deep in water, ice cold water, this dirty almost sewer-like water, and I was alone at home. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what to do. My dad came and picked me up, surely, but that wasn't particularly nice memories. Mm -hmm. We were left at home alone a lot because my mom had to work, because my dad couldn't provide for a family. He was drifting from job to job because he had his condition. I'm not sure what it is, but he had violent rages. If something goes out of his way, he would start screaming, with, you know, his eyes bulging out, saliva flying, and he could become very aggressive. He would beat us if we do something wrong with um, power cords, and he still thinks it was okay. I can't really comprehend it. However, that was the way it was. He would ridicule and abuse my mom most of the time in their marriage. And the problem is with my mom is, well, she grew up in the USSR, and you know how it is in Russia that... This traditional family that children has to have to have their father, so she didn't leave him for us. But after about 15 years of marriage, she decided to leave him, and I was 13 at that point. 
and they were separated. And he came home on the New Year's Eve without any notice. She wasn't okay with that. So he came in on the pretense of seeing us. And then my godmother lived on the upper floor. We lived in an apartment complex by that time. And I was... I wanted to go there to celebrate New Year's because I was a kid and she also had kids. And my mom said no and I got so angry, but now I understand that she was very, very afraid. My dad sent my brother to the room, to, to our kids' room, and I was sitting and playing on the computer on, uh, in their room, in the bedroom. And he came in and he asked my mom to sleep in the same room with him. And I didn't get what was the big fuss about, but now I get that he tried to rape her. Yeah. And he started beating her in front of me, and I jumped on him because I, well, I couldn't let that happen. And he beat me, and he threw me in my room with my death-scared brother, little brother laying there. I just got the phone, mobile phone, my first ever in life, and we, nobody in my family had it, so I didn't really know how to use it, how to call 911. The thing is, you, you had to press, like, plus something something at the time mm-hmm. to call 911. And I couldn't. And he came and he took my phone and smashed it and went back to my mom. And then I heard her scream that he will kill her. So I dashed to the upper floor. I didn't have even clothes on me. I was in underwear and I didn't really care about that. So I just dashed there and banged the doors. And we were really lucky because our neighbor, he did boxing. So he could help us. So he screamed back and helped to get him out. And he ran off. And then we moved out of there. So that's pretty accurate description of my father. Later in separation, he claimed that I, because I trained karate, but I wasn't any good, but I, I trained it anyway. And he claimed that I was a black belt and that I attacked him. Of course, yeah. Yeah, there you see how, how my father is. No remorse, no shame. He didn't really care. One day he came to our house, a different flat, and tricked my mom out and he tried to choke her if she didn't sign the document giving him our other flat to him. So he stole the flat from us, from children, which is fantastic guy, right? Yeah, father of the year. Um, <laughs> right. So my mom got to be alone with two kids and she didn't have a higher education, so she had to like retail job, which didn't earn much at all. So I had to step in and I started working. So I would wake up at 5 a.m. before school, go and wash two floors of the building. If I could just a janitor and then I would go to school. That was how I lived for a while. My brother was really sick and he, he got a tuberculosis. So he had to be hospitalized and treated, you know, in the closeout. He had to stay there for about a year. And at the same time, for a few, few months later, my mom got, uh, I think she got the stones in the gall or something like this. So she was hospitalized. So I was alone home and I was 13, 14. And we didn't have money. <laughs> no, no. It's... So it was very tough and I almost had nothing to eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I resorted to stealing food. Not the proudest thing I did, but I did what I had to do. So at this point, I was very determined that I don't want to live the way I did and that I need to get out of this situation and that I need to get out of Russia because all the living conditions in Russia are horrible. The government doesn't really care about you. You don't have any social payments. You don't have any support, no retirement. And I thought, I don't want to be there anymore. All I'm saying this 
is because it's really relatable to what happened next. Yeah. So I finished school and I was had very good grades. I was a bright student. I have IQ of about 119, so I knew I could do better. And I picked seven exams. Regularly, they could took three, but I took seven, so I could have a broader options to enter university because the way it works in Russia that if you have a good grades you will get a free scholarship mm-hmm. if you don't you have to pay and I know that my family can't pay and if, if I don't get higher education I will never be able to get out of Russia I did my best and I entered the department of interpretation and translation and then I was one of the best five I think I was in the third place in the top five of our of people who entered university with grades. So I got the scholarship and I started doing scientific researches as well. And I was a monitor my group. So because for everything you get a paid a little bit extra, a little bit extra, so I could actually support my family more. I studied for three years. That took a really, really big toll on me because of with all this homework and the way you study in Russia you have to really go to school for eight, six, eight hours and then you have homework, which is I think in Europe, it's much, much more different than this. Mm-hmm. You don't have this much stress on you. And then I had my scientific research and then I worked as well. I started to get nervous breakdowns. I would be very aggressive with my family, with my brother, especially. I started to get sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And the worst part about my hometown, because it's in Siberia, the doctors there are worthless. Yeah. I went there. I went to them, of course. I thought I was losing my mind. I thought maybe I got schizophrenia or something like this because I couldn't understand what was happening. For example, because once I fell asleep and then I couldn't move and I opened my eyes and I could see, but I couldn't move. And I saw a dark figure standing and then it was laughing in my ears and it was horrible, sinister laughter. And I started moving and I woke up screaming. And my brother ran to me and I told him, did you see that? And of course he did not. And I thought, that's it. I'm out of my mind. I am going to insane house. (laughs) There goes my future. Oh, no. So I went to doctors and they told me they they made an AKG, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. on my brain. And they thought, well, it's a little bit abnormal, but there is nothing, nothing about it. So the doctor there told me, well, you get pregnant, you give birth to a child, it will go away. Can you believe this? level of ignorance yeah it'll go away <laughs> just fine yeah. i thought i was losing my mind and the thing is when i was given a birth by my mom i was overdue and it took about two days for me to get done when i was given a birth they broke my collarbone and because of this when i was tiny i laid my head on the other side and my head got deformed mm-hmm. so doctors had to shape it back with a physiotherapy and they told my mom that so this head trauma can cause some mental disorders or something like this, physical disorders. And they often shows up in young adults, so 15, 20, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. And that happened. This sleep paralysis happened to me when I was 18, 20. So I thought that there we go. <laughs> now I'm insane. I had sleepwalking as well, which is not helping anyone. <laughs> it was tough on me, but I did my best anyway. Yeah. And person who was the head of our faculty, she was very verbally abusive to all our students. She she would literally tell people at lessons that you are absolutely fucking no one. 
morons go to army go give a birth to kids you, you're doing nothing here literally very supportive so <laughs> yeah yeah we did complain on her but they would tell her well she's very qualified so we have to have her in our university you know which was amazing anyway one day this woman i don't know what she saw in me maybe she saw my nature or something because i i didn't care so much about what she said she told me why don't you try this exchange program and there is exchange program called north to north so if you are a good grade student and you have scientific researchers you can enter it and it goes among whole russia so they pick some people and change them to circumpolar region uh, universities to, as an exchange so i thought well what the hell i'll try that and i went there with my degree I, I didn't have a degree, but I was studying for it in translation. And they told me that we can't afford you to, s to send you abroad to study English. I was, okay, yeah. all right. So I lied to them that I would then study ecology and take care of our republic in Siberia because we need to work on ecology. Mm -hmm. And they bought it and they sent me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to do what works for you. <laughs> Yeah, I know that that might sound pretty fishy, but I mean, I got to do what I got to do. And I did that. And I picked Sweden for no particular reason, apart from that one of my band, metal bands I like was from here. So I was like, I don't I don't know. It doesn't matter for me to where to go. I'll just go here. Yeah. So I got here and I started here in university in uh, 2012. The life here was so different there there's so many trees the air is so clean the streets are so clean the people are so nice comparative to where i lived <laughs> so you you moved to sweden because your favorite metal bands from there pretty much because yeah. i had a chance and well i i had zero idea that i would actually win this exchange program mm -hmm. but one day they just sent me email that i was chosen i couldn't believe my eyes <laughs> and i had to go in half a year so well mm -hmm. i did so I got on here and I was studying and everything went great. And I was supposed to be here for only six months. One of the other things about living in my Republic Saha in Siberia is that the natives are Asian looking people. They are Asians. And I am regular white Russian woman. Mm -hmm. So I am pretty tall. I'm 171 centimeters. And I was so much taller and so much bigger because of that than others. People would consider me to be bad looking and undesirable. So I had a problems with self-esteem because of that. I didn't really suffer from it, but I just took it as a fact. Well, I'm not pretty. That's it. Yeah. Forget about it. And when I moved here in Sweden, I got so much attention. I couldn't believe that. Um, so I started dating a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. because all of a sudden I am a beauty. Yeah. Yeah. When Half of my life, I was telling that I was a huge, horrible giant. <laughs> I got a lot of boyfriends going on when I was here. And in December 25th of 2012, I, on, the, on the Christmas day, I went out to a bar, to a rock bar. Um, because I didn't have much friends here at all. A few people I knew, they were with their families. So, well, what do I do? So I went out to a bar. I was supposed to go away in a month back home because my program was finishing. And I noticed this guy, this really rock and roll guy, like, you know, this 80s glam metal look with um, eyeliner and funky hair and tattoos. Yeah. And he noticed me and we hit it off. It was pretty fun. And we went to his house and I ended up 
staying there for three nights. I thought it would be just a fun one night stand, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I stayed there for three days because he just didn't want me to go. He told me that he never met anyone just like me and that we have so much in common. And he lived in a three-flat apartment, so really good, big apartment. So he told me, well, why don't I just move in? <laughs> After three days. just <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, well, that's pretty fucking crazy, but you know what? Because, well, who am I to judge? You know, I do things people don't approve of <laughs> yeah. because of my nature. Maybe I thought maybe he's like me, so why not? So I moved in, and but I told him, well, you know what? Um, I am going away in a month, so I can't. Well, I'm here for a month, but then bye. <laughs> I can't. I'm going ten thousand kilometers away. And he said okay. And in a few weeks, he told me that, well, why don't you stay here with me? He worked as IT guy for a very rich company on in a very rich district of Stockholm. It's like. The richest people and the richest brands are there. And he worked there. Mm-hmm. And he had a recording studio. And I didn't know that when I dated him. Yeah. So he told me, I have money. That's no problem. And I told him, well, my family has nothing. My mom is a single mother. I don't talk to my dad so much. I will not be able to support you until I find a job. And it's a Sweden. I don't speak Swedish. I mean, I didn't at the time. Mm-hmm. I will have problems finding a job. And he said, it's, it's okay. No problem. So... I applied for a residence permit in Sweden with him and stayed. You know, it looked like it was fantastic. Like he was a knight in shining armor, just buying me flowers, paying for everything, being so kind. So I thought, well, it's it's fantastic now. Yeah. My shitty till then life got something good going for me. Mm-hmm. Or so I thought. That wasn't the case at all. Was he older than you? No, in fact, he was one year younger. Okay. We were the same age, so pretty much. There were big red flags all over, but I didn't take them because, you know, I'm a non-conformist, I'm a sociopath. I don't care what society thinks. I just do things the way I like, and I have my rules. I don't harm people for mm-hmm. no reason. That's, yeah. that's how I go. But why not just move in after three days? I thought that was, why not? Mm-hmm. I just try it. But don't you think how obsessive it is, how controlling it is to ask a person to move in to yourself after three days, to keep them with you after three days, for three days after you just met them? Yeah. You normally want your space, but no, not him. Because I met him on uh, Christmas. His father came up because his father lives in the southern part of Sweden. So he came up on the on the New Year's Day to celebrate, and we all went out city to watch fireworks above the bridge, above the waterfront. His father got drunk, and he grabbed my butt. Um, I thought, well, okay, you're drunk. Keep your hands to yourself. And then he did it again. On, I, I thought maybe it was an accident, but no, he did it again. So I hit him really hard. Well, I'm I'm not a, you know, I'm not a pushover. I'll do what I have to and he got lost and he didn't come home that night and i thought well that is freaky yeah but you know if you have this kind of father what are the chances you are not the same yeah, yeah. sadly turns out his son is not much better so when in the beginning it it was all going good 
I couldn't find a job for a very, very long time. For I couldn't job, find a good job for about four months. And then I found a part-time job, just like three hours a day. So it paid nothing. And then I found a permanent job in nine months. Because if you don't know Swedish, it's it's very tough. In the beginning, it was all great. It was all lovely. And he he was all the time with me, all the time. Up to that, if I go to shower, he goes with me. If I go to bathroom, he goes in the shower, which is the same room. Um, what? He would, yeah, I know, I know, right? And I thought, well, it's okay. Maybe he wants to not have any, you know, boundaries to be very close, you know, that I wouldn't have to be secretive or, you know, I don't, I, I, I couldn't really ex- explain it, but I thought, well, if he, that's what he wants to do, it's not like I care. I will take shit in front of him, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I didn't have money, you know, because I, my family is poor as hell. And my mom earns like, how much is it now? About $500 a month. And it's, you know, she has to pay for my brother as well because he's younger. She can't send money to me. And I know that my dad is useless. So I had some savings back home for my scholarship for my studies. And he knew about it. And at some point he asked me like, well, you had those savings. Can't, you, can't your mom send them to you? And I told him, well, if she hits the fan, I need those money to go back. And he tried so hard for me to get them so that I wouldn't have a way out of there. Uh, so the first big issue was in March. It was just basically three months after I met him. Uh, he once came home and... He was in a really bad mood and he started telling that I don't love him, that I don't respect him, that I am a whore, that I am useless, that I am unwished and nobody will ever want me. And that I owe him money that he paid because he paid for me for three months. Well, I was cooking and cleaning the old house, you know, so I didn't just sit on my ass there. Yeah. He didn't care about that. You know, if if your partner all of a sudden would tell you that, you would be a little bit um, astonished. You would ask, "Well, what's the problem, honey? You know, what? What? Why do you think like this?" And I would try to talk sense into him. I would talk, try to tell him that, "Well, no, I love you. That that you're just making it all up. Let's work on this." But it wouldn't work. He was so sure of what he said. Yeah. So I tell him, "You know what? Okay. You know what? Look, if you think that I don't love you, then I don't love you." And that enraged him he grabbed me he dragged me out of the apartment and i it was night uh, around 12 at night and i only had my t-shirt and my undies on me mm-hmm. so he dragged me out and wanted to throw me out of the apartment and it's marsh in sweden so it was like minus 10 at night ah uh, i didn't have a f- wallet no phone no nothing quite Happily, in the flat he lived in, we had a roommate, and his roommate did the MMA. So I screamed out for him, and he ran out, and he subdued him on the floor. He was he had, the, Our roommate had to hold him. Mm-hmm. And I was in such a shock, and I didn't know what to do. And I told him, well, I don't have anything of my own. I, I don't know what the, why, why does he behave like this. My roommate just told me, well, he, he drank. He's not himself. Um, just get your things and go. I will hold him until you go. And I grabbed everything out and I went out and I had two bucks in my wallet. I didn't even have a bus card and we lived one hour from the city center. Mm-hmm. I called a guy I used to hook up with. Well, yeah, right? Yeah. That was my only hope. And I told him what happened. He, and he told me, you know what? Jump on the train and 
get to me and you can stay here. And I will pick up you on the car. I was like, okay. I went to the bus stop and I uh, begged the driver to let me in without money and happily he did. So I get out there. I called my family, even my shitty ass father and told them what happened and asked them for money. Yeah. My father did send me money, surprisingly, a little bit, which would be enough for me to buy a ticket and get back. Mm-hmm. But what he also said, he told me, my father it is, that, well, maybe you are overreacting. Maybe <laughs> he had a bad day. Maybe he need your help. He, he, he was trying. <laughs> just... mm. uh, yeah, no words, no words for that. <laughs> I guess he saw himself in him. Why not? It's the same fucking asshole. Quite sadly, that made me think that that's true. Maybe he is depressed. Maybe he needs my help. Maybe we've been through so much. Maybe he's sick. I can help him. I can fix and him. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Like all the battered women. Mm. And he called me and of course he apologized. Of course he told me that he was sorry, that he got drunk, that he regrets everything, that he'll do everything for me. I wasn't so happy to give in and quite sadly my uh, the guy who used to hook up uh, he told me like well <laughs> i asked him to be there for a couple of days and i stayed there for a week mm-hmm. and he needed me to move out so i met another friend and this friend helped me and i stayed there for two days but because i was talking to my ex this way and i will call him l yeah so l asked me to come back and i did at first it was all great again he would do everything for me he would cook he would clean, he would buy me things. But then it wouldn't go so well because only he had money. When we would go shopping, he would only buy what he wanted. I, I'm a sweet tooth. I like sweet food. And there, there were cookies for like, which costed like one buck. And he wouldn't buy it. He would tell, I don't have money. He had BMW. He had a few packs of cigarettes a day, which cost five bucks each. Mm-hmm. And he didn't have money for my one buck cookie. He would do it with any food. He would control everything. He wouldn't give me money. I wouldn't even ask for makeup or anything like this. He would never give it to me. He never would give me money for a transport card because, you know, you have to have this bus card. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go anywhere. And I would tell him, you know what, for me to apply to jobs, I need to go places and give my CV. I have to go there. And he said, well, no, you can just go around in our neighborhood. And it's tiny. There is nothing there. Then he would have problems with me having any male friends. He would forbid me to speak to any male friends. Even on the phone, even on the chat, I was not allowed to. I was not allowed to go anywhere. Once I got sick, I had a urine, inflammation, urine bladder inflammation. And if you ever had that, you have this urge to pee all the time. And it hurts. And you can't pee. It hurts. And it couldn't go to the point that you give it blood. And for me to go to the doctor, because I was not a Swedish citizen or, and I wasn't, I didn't have a personal number, which you have to have like, like a security, social security number. Yeah. I had to pay extra fee. That would the loss at that time. And that would cost me $150 for one appointment. Which is more than you have because you're a, a starving student pretty much. Yeah. I didn't have anything at all at this point because I, I finished my program. I wasn't a student anymore and I didn't have a job and he took all my money. So I had zero, literally zero in my pocket and he would never give me money for anything. Because that's his way of controlling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I didn't know what to do. I tell him that, well, it, it 
it hurts so much. You can't, you can't just do this to me. And he would both tell me, well, I, I have just paid the bills for my studio. I can't give you money. So that went that way. And I finally asked my mom to gather up some money. And I remember her salary is 500 bucks and I needed the 150. So it's a lot of money for her to send me almost half of her salary. And she did anyway. And I went there and the doctor told me like, I see that you're sick, but you're not enough sick for me to give you antibiotics. Come on Monday. I did, and they told me that I have to pay again because it's a new appointment, and I didn't have money. I broke down there, and I cried as hell, and I was so desperate. I didn't know what to do. I I just tried to cope with it the best I could, just take painkillers or whatnot. And his father, that that dick, um, he sent him tickets to a concert. I think it was Kiss or something. Okay. It's not like I'm a great fan of it, but he did insisted on me on going so I did even though I was sick and because we were sitting so far very not close to sane I couldn't feel see them so good because my eyesight isn't good so I was reading the book well why not I listened to the live concert I read the book why the hell not <laughs> uh, run into a toilet every other minute and then when it was done we were going home and Elle's friend was there and he told me, like, we were, we are going to go out now to the bar. And I told him, well, I can't. I feel so bad. I'm sick. And then he would tell me that I fake it, that it's, it's nothing, that all the women have it all the time and they're just fine, Jeez. that I am unthankful bitch, mm-hmm. that his saint father bought us tickets and I didn't even look. And he would scream at me in front of all the people. He didn't care. And his friends didn't do anything at all as well. So we went home and I tried to, he would tell me all this shit all the time on the bus. And I would want to go get out and I would tell people, get him away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm leaving. And he told me, give me your keys from home. And I throw them to him. And it didn't help. He would just stalk me. And then I get off the bus and he stalked me back. So we went back in home and we used to fight yeah. because of this. And then my best friend happily my best friend from russia he was traveling he came over and he brought me antibiotics from russia because you can buy them prescription free there yeah and they helped i finally healed myself and then my best friend came we went out to bar with l as well and the evening was starting to be good but then in the end he wanted to go home by a cab and the cab costed 70 bucks and I didn't have money, and my best friend doesn't have money because 70 bucks is a lot of money for a Russian mm-hmm. citizen. And he would assist, and he would start screaming, and he would start threatening to kill me or to hurt me. And I knew that the only way to make it better is to start crying. And I told my my friend who was there with me, and he was so distressed. And my best friend is a really tiny guy, so he couldn't do anything. I told him in Russian that I will start crying now. I fake it, so don't get distressed. So I had to cry in front of him to make Al be more soft on me. So we get home that way. We waited overnight, and when our roommate came in, I gathered my, all my things and we ran off. Because I was I didn't dare to leave him when I was alone there with him, because I didn't know what he could do. So we ran off, and he would ring, call me un- non-stop, and he would threaten me. We bought tickets for me to go back to Russia, but... Again, he started texting me that he's sick and that he feels bad and that he wants me back and that he's sorry. And I did come back again. Mm-hmm. I came back in and he was good again. And that's the tendency. As 
As soon as he starts abusing me, then it gets better. Over and over again and over and over again. It only got worse, in fact. The thing I did not realize. I thought that he was sick. I thought that he needs my help. And it's not like I could just, you know, leave and go right away because I didn't have money. I did no language. I was alone. So I was pretty much, I was, I was not allowed to have friends. I was not allowed to, to go out. I was held captive, pretty much. But in my mind, the mental uh, verbal abuse was not an abuse because you don't, in Russia, that's not the case. If he hits you, that's an abuse. Yeah. And then you leave. Yeah. But he never hit me. And I entered this over and over because I thought I'm helping him. Later on, I realized that he had a borderline personality disorder, mm -hmm. emotionally unstable disorder, which is basically how it was. In the morning, he would wake up and he would be like, that's the best day in the world. I feel so good. Um, let's celebrate. And in the evening, you come home from work and you look at him and he sits there and stares blankly into the wall and tells him he wants to kill himself. He started abusing me even more. He would sleep deprive me. I had to wake up at around 7 to get in time to work and he would keep me up till 2, 3 in the morning. Just not allowing me, I would tell him, I want to sleep, leave me alone. And he would, no, I want to speak right now. It was, it was not, he wasn't asking, it was a demand. And he would get aggressive, he would grab me. He never hit me, but he grabbed me to the point of bruising. And when we had sex, he started choking me. I'm not into kinky stuff, mm -hmm. but I thought, well, whatever. Whatever rocks his boat, you know, when you have a partner, you, you go to compromises. But at some point there, he choked me and I started losing my consciousness. I didn't see anything. Mm -hmm. It was all black and I thought that, well, now I die. You were just accepting this, like you were... Yeah, because I didn't know that uh, something was going wrong and I didn't want it, but he forced me on the top of myself mm -hmm. and choked me. I didn't know that he was raping me. It's because, you know, when you think of rape, you think of a stranger in the forest with a gun to your head. You don't think about your boyfriend and your bad. I tried to fight back and he did let me go. And from that point, I thought, I gotta have a knife by the bed Jeez. just in case. And I did. Can you imagine living with a partner when you have a knife in your bed because you are just so afraid of him? No, no, that's a whole other level of uh, self-defense that I just, and, you know. Yeah, and I thought at one night when he threatened me and didn't let me to sleep, I, I was seriously considering going to the kitchen and get knife and let him sleep and get over with it because I didn't know what to do anymore. I couldn't help him. I tried. I couldn't help his depression. I couldn't help his disorder. I thought I'd just kill him. But, you know, it didn't go that way, mm. actually. Thankfully, it could. At some point, it, it was by October, I went to work and his father was supposed to come by to us. I was at work and I well, I was late a little bit for like half an hour and I told him I'm going to be late for half an hour because, because we have an emergency at work. And he started telling me that I'm a whore, a disrespectful bitch who does not deserve anything, that his saint father came over from south of Sweden and cooked us a dinner and I, am, and I dare to be late. And I told him, you know what? Okay, yeah, no problems. I am not fucking coming home and forget about me. Take all my things. You don't want them, take them. I'm not coming. And I turned back and halfway from home and get back home. Because you, you were literally running late 
not like you yeah. were off no. with somebody else. You were just, you had to do things and you're stuck in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I got back to work and I sat there. Um, he called me and he said sorry and that he overreacted. He didn't mean to and he wasn't right. So I said, well, you know what? Well, okay, I I'm coming. You know what? I I'm, I'm going to give you another chance. And I went home and I did not realize that that was a trap. I came back at home. First thing, I opened the door and he grabs me by the hands and pulled me into the door. And he starts screaming at me, telling me what kind of whore I am again and that he will call police on me and that he will call the immigration service and tell them that I'm illegal and that he that I did not actually live with him, but that I pretended so that it's like a felony so that they would deport me. Mm -hmm. And he threatened to kill me. He grabbed me and I had my phone and I wanted to call 911 and he grabbed my phone. He, he smashed it in the floor and it fell into pieces. And he had a glass of wine on his arm and he threw it into the floor with the glass went flying and I was in my bed and he grabbed me by the bed and jumped at me. And I thought that, well, there we go. Doesn't get worse than this. Mm -hmm. And then his father came into the room and I was crying there and I was screaming for our roommate because I didn't know if he was home or not at all. His father comes into the room, comes close to my face and tell me, why are you crying, little girl? You deserve this. Jeez. You made him do this. Be happy he didn't kill you yet. It's like a, a, a horror movie, a nightmare. It is. Uh, it was. I didn't know what to do. I am not a small girl. I can fight for myself. But there was no way I could fight two men. He was pacing, the, the L was pacing across the room, here and back, and he stepped on the glass, he broke himself, and he screamed that it was my fault, and he went out to swipe it up. And having this chance, I launched across the room, I grabbed my phone and the battery from it, because it fell apart, and I grabbed my bag, and I sprinted from apartment as, as much as I could. He chased me, and he's a good runner. Yeah. I managed to run out of the dark to the street, and it was October, it was really dark, and it was around, it was around 11, I think. I screamed, and there were people around, and they didn't care. No one, just, no one didn't even watch at me. They saw a woman screaming on the floor, on the ground, and the guys standing above her, and they didn't do anything. That's just insane to me. It, it, it really is, but I, it uh, doesn't surprise me at yeah. all. And that's the sad part, is I, this, this kind of stuff happens a lot. And people just don't. It is. You know. He demanded his keys, and I threw him his keys, and I, I didn't really care about it. And he went away. And I thought, I, I gotta hide now. I had my laptop with me without the battery, because he took the battery out and hid it so I wouldn't leave. He took my passport also, so I wouldn't leave. Every single thing to just hold yeah. you there. Yeah. He did. He thought he broke my phone, but my phone actually worked, but it had 3% of battery in it. So I ran off, I uh, hid by the balcony in the bushes of some unknown flat and I climbed into the balcony because it was the ground floor and I hid there and I heard him running around a couple of, like 20 minutes later screaming for me. I know he was looking for me. I managed to call the police and ask them to come and help me, but um, my phone was dying 3% and it, it was dead before they came. And I had to wait around three and a half hours for them to come. What? 
Yeah, in a freezing October night. At some point, I just I crawled out of the street to the more lightened area. I didn't know if he would go there, but I was there and I cried. And people, Swedish people, wouldn't wouldn't stop. It's, I think it's just in their culture that they would call police from home, from safe distance. They wouldn't really intervene. And there were a couple, I, they were immigrants. I don't remember where they were from, but they weren't Swedish. And they helped me. They got me in the home. They gave me like hot drink and called the police and told them where I am so they could pick me up. So police came over finally at around 3 a.m. I showed them bruises on my arm. They took a picture and I told them that I want my clothes, I want my belongings, I want my passport. And I, that he stole it and we went in. We went in, and what do you think? The L and his father pretended to be sleeping and told them, the police, that I was drunk, that I made it all up, that he didn't touch me. <laughs> yeah, so I took my things, and when I was gathering my things, the fucking L from the kitchen, because you could see our room from the hallway from the kitchen, mm-hmm. he screamed that, look at that bitch doesn't steal anything from me. I, I didn't know that if I had to, but I shook every piece of my undies and my clothes in front of policemen saying, like, see, it's a female, it's not male, it's mine. So I took everything. And they took me to my work because I had nowhere to go. And I crawled into the reception of my work and slept on the floor there. I wrote to my boss that, well, that's it. I'm I'm going home and I, I can't be here because obviously he will call immigration service and tell them that it's, it's not valid anymore. So I have to go. Yeah. My boss actually helped me a lot. She, she told me I could stay at work. I work in a hotel, so I could live there. And my ex, he would continue calling me. He would continue threatening me. He would threaten me that he knows health angels and that he will send them from me. I was literally afraid of leaving my work. Yeah. I had to lock the doors and everything. Well, this guy's shown you that he's willing to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because now he crossed the line. Now he physically attacked me. That's mm-hmm. then the next step, you know. So I got over this finally. But then he would come back again. And I would go back again. You know, uh, I, as I've read that statistically, women who are abused try to leave about in, in medium eight times before they finally leave. And I think mine was somewhere around that seven or so. Yeah. The times I left and he would come over me. After this fight, I wouldn't meet him for at least half a year or so. And in one year, in October of next year, we started seeing each other again and i had my own room by the time i rented a room but i and i kept it for a couple of months more mm-hmm. so because i was afraid that i wouldn't have anywhere to go but i moved in with him eventually again and this kind of thing should continue again and again that any sort of something goes out of his way uh he would try to kick me out and try to assault me and i would leave and then he would come back to my work because he knew where i worked for example one time he came to my work and I have a really good hearing and I heard that the guy outside of my rooms were going and screaming my name. He woke other people and I saw that our guest who stays with us, he went out and told me there is no girl with this name, leave. And he, my ex, the L, he assaulted him. He started beating the shit out of this person and of course I had to run out and get him in. He was diagnosed with depression and he was an anxiety and whatnot and they were trying to find what was the hell was wrong with him and he was taking Xanax and something else. Yeah. I don't remember what. He would drink a lot. A couple what? of bottles of wine in the evening. 
and alcohol and, and any of those pills, it just, they counteract yeah. with each other. They just, it doesn't work out well. Right. And then he would show up at my work high on cocaine. That, that works great with Xanax yeah, and, and SSRIs. I know, yeah. right? And I know that he was sick and I tried to help him, but I didn't know how. And then one day he told me, I don't need your help. Because I told him I want to help you and he told me, I don't need your help, you know? I'm fine. <laughs> There's no yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, oh, what the fuck am I doing here then? I talked to my boss and she told me, because we, we got more close because she helped me so much. She told me that he doesn't need your help. Look at your situation. You're living like you're hosted. You are living for another person and it's not the thing to be. He's a psychopath. Look at him. And I thought, oh God, I realized what I was in. I was tired of all his battering. He started to fight with other people, I guess, because he was afraid that I would leave. He would start fighting other people, mm -hmm. uh, assault taxi drivers, break glasses, come home bloody. He, he got suicidal. He um, threatened to kill himself in front of me so that I wouldn't leave, of course. Nothing ever was about me, actually, or it was all about him. Yeah, yeah. He just wanted the control over me. It is interesting to me, though, that it kind of clicked with you when he said, I don't need your help. Yeah. That was, yeah, I did. you know, that, I mean, that's when you finally were like, well, what? You know, the abuse and the controlling that keeps you there. But you had to find your own logical fallacy to decide, I'm done. I was desperate. I did yeah. not know what to do because I did my best. And I, I considered suicide myself. I would wake up at night and I, I would feel so bad. I'd go to some forums and talk to people, to strangers about the situation. And they would all tell me, you should leave. And I would tell him, no, I want to help him. Yeah. And then he did not need my help. And that was my realization that maybe I'm doing something wrong here. At some point, at, after he's another freak out, he would start telling me that he doesn't know I'm going to have to go and everything this way. And I told him, I, I, I stopped acting out. I stopped, I stopped crying. I stopped begging. I stopped everything. And I just told him, are you sure? Because if I'm going out, I'm not coming back. And he told me, yeah. And I told him, well, goodbye then. I gathered my clothes and I took my cat and I moved out. He would not touch me for a month, but then he would start stalking me again, raining, calling. It was pretty damn annoying. I broke up with him in March and I've been with him for two years. I did break up with him and I met another guy and this guy was just fantastic. He accepted me for what I am. He didn't mind my sociopathy and he was honest with me and he cared about me. And I just thought that, wow, that that's, that's how you're supposed to be. That's yeah. what the life is. That when you come home in the evening, you are certain you will have a caring and loving partner and not thinking about, well, will I get assaulted or raped tonight? Or will I get, I will I be sleeping on the street because he kicked me out again. Yeah. I realized and how wrong I was, what was I thinking, and funny thing is that I wrote my ex that, well, you know what, you, you have to leave me alone, and I have a new boyfriend, and I'm moving in with him, and I love him, and you have to be away from me. And then he would write to my boyfriend. Of course. <laughs> he would send him my old text when I told my ex I love him. Mm -hmm. 
he told my boyfriend that I'm a cheating, lying hooker. And the fun part about that is that the same morning I told my boyfriend that I told my ex today that he has to leave me alone and I have you now. And that was his reaction. So my boyfriend was ready for it. He would write me again in September some nonsense because I knew how much he loved himself. He was such an egoist narcissist. I told him that he's welcome to kill himself for all I care. And since then, he finally let me be. Do you know what he's up to? Has he found somebody else? Has he found a new target? Yes, yes I do. I did not really want to know. And I honestly did not check mm-hmm. did not check his Facebook or anything for uh, one and a half years. I used to do that because I was afraid to know where he is. Yeah, you would want to try to keep tabs. I, so yeah, could, yeah, I try to keep tabs on him. My, the friend of mine, and she's a more girl girl, you know, she likes to stalk people. <laughs> the girls do that. <laughs> uh, she told me she found a Brazilian girlfriend. And by that time, he was like 23, and this girl was 18. She just got 18. And he made her come for Brazil to stay with him, migrate into Sweden. So he just left me alone, I think, because he found another victim of his. And the, the things I told you, they are not even half of what he did or he tried to do. One of the things he really tried to do, because, you know, he tried to assure his control in any possible way, taking away my money, my freedom, my friends, my contacts, anything, my self-esteem. He also wanted to have children. Oh. He would try to talk me into having a child with him. Because if you think like this, how can you leave a child? If you have a child with him, will you ever leave? Mm -hmm. So he got his, this little girl with him. And I'm not sure if, if uh, she's okay now. And I know that he took her to his father as well. And side note about his father. His father is a chronic alcoholic and he's in an AA, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't follow it. And he got divorced from his wife, so Elle's mother. He had a new girlfriend, and she had a court restriction order from him because at one point he got up, got a shotgun, and tried to kill her. And this terrific guy, he has a little daughter with Elle's mother. Mm-hmm. So he tried to fight for her custody, and I was I was a witness in their court hearing. So I made my best to tell my story there. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it didn't work. They still let him have a visitation. <sighs> this homicidal, chauvinistic pig who thinks the worst of all the women who drinks all the time and raise the same son of his, and he is allowed to see his daughter. It's insane to me. But you you tried. You, you did your I did. part. I, I did my best. That, I, that... I can't help it anymore, but... Yeah, but it, you know, that's not right. You didn't have to go to court and testify. You didn't have to go and face these people again, but you did. And that's that's very admirable. Yeah, and of course they told that I lied. Of course, especially my ex. Of course he did. I know that he moved to Netherlands. I hope he doesn't do this to anyone else, but I bet he does. I would like to tell the story generally because I, I would like women to understand not only women, but any person in a domestic partnership, you deserve better. You shouldn't be treated this way. The partnership, the any relationship is about love and understanding. It's not about control. It's not about serving. It's not about 
help without payback. You should help each other. You should respect each other. And if you don't get that, leave now and don't come back. He's not going to get better. He does not need your help. He does not love you. Just leave. So you know that he found this other, this other woman and he left you alone. Did you or your friends ever try to reach out to her and warn her? I did not. As hopeful as it sounds, I guess, I just you wanted would... him away from me. Yeah. And I thought, well, if that's the way, but that's if... the way then. I'm not sure about my friend, though. Maybe she did. The one fun part about the, the elf, mm-hmm. he would always tell, like when I started dating him, he would immediately start telling shit about his ex. That she's lying, that she's controlling, that she did not allow him to drink, that she's such a bitch. And I bet he told the same about me to her so that she wouldn't believe me. When we were broken up, when I didn't want to get back to him uh, in the break, uh, he got a new girlfriend. And I know that he couldn't contact her because he told me that she attacked him with a knife and caught him. What a bitch she is. I literally asked him, what did you do to her that she would drag this way? Yeah. Because I know how he is and he wouldn't confess. He didn't feel guilty for any of that. He always thought that he was right, that I am no one. So he not only does he give a, a precursor or a disclaimer that, oh, all my exes are crazy and psych- psychotic, so you can't listen to him. But I think even if somebody had reached out to you in the beginning and said, stay away from this guy, what would you have thought? Would you have listened? Would you have known that this person's being honest or just some random, you know, girl telling you, you know, warning you and you might just think, oh, she's just jealous. All the things that he's saying, she's a liar, you know, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just depends on when. If in the beginning, I don't think I would believe it. Because, you know, you always think, oh, right, he, he warned me about it. Then I could expect it. But if that would be in like healthier our relationship, I I would quit. I wouldn't stay to this. Yeah. Quite sadly it didn't happen this way because you know, it's very hard to leave a person who although he was abusive verbally, he didn't hit me and I didn't understand that that was that's the same. He would then come crawling and crying on my laps and asking, telling how he isn't happy, but how he, how that he's so sick and that he needs my help and I'm the best that ever happened to him. And the next morning he would be grabbing and pushing me out to cold and threatening to kill me. You know, that's not right. And at some point I decided that, okay, even if he's sick, it is his problem. He has to help himself before anybody can help him. And Doctors have to help him and not me. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do for him. And you're just going to get beat on or yelled at. There's nothing in your power to fix this situation besides get away from it. Yes, nothing at all. The only purpose of mine was there that he could abuse me because he liked it. He enjoyed it. It's not like he would tell that he doesn't know what he does, that he he thinks it's wrong. But I know it's not. I know that he enjoyed to rape me i know that he enjoyed to abuse me to have me as his basic slave and that's horrible to think of and i think it's apparent where he learned it from yes it is (laughs) it's so so clear because his father is just horrible person and he would always say that women should be servants that they are the lesser kind 
horrible sexist abuser, alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I would never want to meet this person again in my life. I just couldn't also understand how he could not only watch him abuse me, but come and tell me that I deserve it. He doesn't know our life. He doesn't know me. We saw him a couple of times. And he just thinks that I deserve it because I'm a woman. Yeah, that's that's all the more justification he needs. It's disgusting. Pretty much. I filed a police report and I took it back uh, at some point because he was threatening me. And the police would ask me, did she threaten you? And I would tell, yes, but he was very accurate about it because I never had it on recording. When a few times after we met and all the time he tried to call me, I would first turn on recorder before talking to him. But he was very careful about it. It's so ridiculous, though, that you have to do all the investigative work to get any of these charges to be taken seriously. It's, it's You do, you do, and it's pretty horrible. And the thing is, I know that the nights that I had to call the police on him, they wouldn't believe me if I, if I wouldn't have those bruises on me. One of the problems which I have with that is that one of the bruises actually wasn't caused by him. Some were, but not this one, the big one. Mm-hmm. big one was caused by our cat. We had a cat. Uh, cat bit me, it happens. I had a bruise. Then this cat disappeared. And he, t- and he told me that it ran off. But I tried to look for it, and I never found it. So yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We yeah. already, we already know what happened there. We do. He would often tell me that I'm cheating, but I'm pretty sure he did cheat on me constantly. You know, everything he would tell me I did wrong. I'm pretty sure he did it because he did it himself. Yeah, it's a projection. He's projecting yeah. onto you. One of the worst parts, you would think that, well, I never saw anyone doing, having this situation, but god damn, there is so many people with the same problem, and they don't recognize it, and they just don't leave. My mother got a new husband, and a couple of months ago, she tried to leave him. He threw a phone at her, and he hit her head, and there was bleeding. Hit her head open. And I sent her money, so she left him, and she's now back with him. Yeah. because she thinks she changed and I don't know what to do about it maybe me telling my story would spread more awareness that women would actually do that because when I had this final realization that I don't need his help I started googling basically and looking for help what if, if that happens and there are some psychologists who wrote about it before and they told that all the pattern of abuse when the abuser abuses you and then there is a cooldown period and then there is a you know like a gift period and he reinforces you and he tells that you're so good and to help him and then he will hit you back again they need to control you the abuse is sort of what they want to do and they're angry but they can't fulfill that if you leave so they have to tug you back yeah. in like got you on the fishing line and pull you back in every time you try to go. One of the biggest problems with the L that he has this borderline personality. They have this fear of abandonment as a symptom. So he wouldn't let me leave by any means he could. He would cry, he would beg, he would hate, he would threaten anything that I wouldn't leave. But then again, he wouldn't do anything good for me to stay. Just a horrible situation I have happened in. Because I was in this foreign country 
with no help, no friends, no way out. Mm-hmm. And with this homicidal asshole money, I caught my ass. Um, uh, what to do? What, what yeah. do you do? Yeah. And, you know, you're, you were young and yeah. not that age has anything to do with it, but you're just, you're still trying to figure your life out and you're trying to live in a foreign land. I mean, there's so many factors that were weighing on you. I understand why this guy is preying on women from other countries because when they come to his, now they're, they're really at a disadvantage. Yeah, because it's an easy pattern to control a person because he used to date his exes were Swedish mm-hmm. and they they have it a little bit different. They're in their homeland, they're the families, they're sure what they do. We just told him to piss off and the call police right away. And I am sure this girl from Brazil, it's more like a traditional type of living that you have your husband and you cook for your husband and you clean for your husband and you please your husband. You know, you don't really think of yourself and you really should. <laughs> And I wouldn't recognize that. I wouldn't recognize that he controlled me in this way. And then I couldn't do anything because I was trapped. So there we go. I'm trapped with the person who I tried to help who abuses me. If you don't mind, yeah. this this Brazilian girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think her name was Cristaline or Christy, something like this. So mm-hmm. Cristaline, if you are actually listening to this podcast and your boyfriend is L yeah. from Sweden, leave him. Just Just do it. If you, if you are in the same situation, don't think twice. Mm-hmm. There, my contribution. <laughs> I mean, Hopefully, yeah. maybe that yeah. will help her. You know, it's all we can do is try to warn and hopefully, maybe it makes a difference. You know, uh, we, we, I hope so. Yeah. Because after you go through all this, um, you start to blame yourself so much because I got into a situation basically on my own well. And I stayed there and I came back down my own veil and then you start to blame yourself even more. And the abuser, he destroys your self-esteem. He destroys your sanity. That you don't think that actually anyone would want to deal with you, that you don't deserve happiness. You failure. You failed to help him. Look at you. But no, actually not. There are many people. There are other wonderful people who will treat you the way you deserve. This guy I met, Trevor Cop with Al, who he tried to break up with me. <laughs> I live with him now. Um, he's my partner and we're together for three years and I love him unlimited. It's just he's the best person I've ever met and he understands me so well and my situation. And after all that I went through, I, I never thought I would finish up like this. I thought I would just be alone because nobody would ever want me. Although it's illogical, but you get this yeah. borrowed into your brain to the point of no return, I think. Well, they break you down so much. And they do. It's, it's brainwashing. It really is. Anyone has a breaking point, and that's his whole game. That's what he's good at, is breaking people down. And that's, <laughs> that's what abusers do. So It is. And like, <laughs> I think one of my problems is the way I am, my sociopathy. Uh, I have a really strong character. I can take care of myself because through my rough childhood, I had to work to support my family, live in severe living and weather conditions to go through migration. I knew I could stand up for myself. I knew I'm strong to go through everything. And I thought I am strong enough to go through this and to help him. I thought I could do that. Mm -hmm. But hoping to do something you are not even supposed to do, which is not needed is 
absolutely hopeless. It's it's useless. I did I did leave him. I never came back, and I'm never hoping even to see him. Yeah. And I hope that everybody who is in the same situation just will do the same. Mm-hmm. Just break the circle, break the abuse, and just live for yourself more than you do for others. Everyone should just do that regardless. <laughs> they should just, Absolutely, you know, yeah. They should just do that. Whatever it is that makes you happy, just you should follow that route. Unless it hurts others, then then don't follow that route. But but you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I can't imagine being in that kind of a situation. Luckily, I've had fairly decent relationships in my life, and I've I'm very hands off kind of person. So it's to the point where some people think that I'm I'm a little bit like not affectionate enough because I'm just uh, you know. Luckily, I've never had a girlfriend that uh, was controlling or abusive either. But I've seen my sister with pretty much every single boyfriend she's ever had go through this. And it's frustrating. It's sad. It's I have told her, just leave him. Don't call him. But it's something that she has to work through a little bit. And she has to come to that conclusion. And I have no idea how she's not able to see red flags anymore because I figured she should be a pro at it now. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I know, right? That's the way it goes. I think for me it was a little bit easier because I saw, I actually saw it. Yeah. But yet again, I don't understand why other people don't see it the same way. Especially when I point, for example, my mother, I point to her mm-hmm. that it's it's not the way it should be. It's it's not good. It's you know, it's better to be alone than to be like this. Yeah. And she doesn't see it this way. No. So I don't really know what to do about that in that regard. I know that I was taking it easier on the ex because of my father. Because my father was a piece of shit. So I got used to, you know, being treated like crap. Although my father favored me and more abused my brother verbally than me. I saw how he treated my mother. And my ex treated me sort of like this as well. So I was sort of, you know, I already saw it once. So I saw it twice. So I thought, well, it's not so uncommon, but it doesn't mean that it's okay. It doesn't mean that it should be this way. Absolutely not. No. I'm so happy that you are in a healthy relationship and that you know what normal can feel like. Because it is an amazing thing to have a a good relationship with somebody with communication and care about each other and want to do nice things for each other instead of walking on eggshells all the time. Yeah, that's how it is. Exactly. Because living the way I did, when you don't know where your things are, when he steals your makeup and he throws it away so you don't look pretty, Mm. when he takes your passport, takes your battery and denies that he did take it, and then... If you talk to him enough, he would give it back in front of you. That's not the way to live. Not at all. I'm really sad that he didn't get prosecuted because I I regret that I took back my application in police. I should have. Go on with it. But on the other hand, you never know. Maybe he would kill me then. Maybe I'm alive because I did not. Yeah, it's the fear of retaliation at that point that is still controlling you. Yeah. Anyway, I did what I did and I can't change it, so I just go on with life as I do. Uh, one thing that bothers me is that I still think of this. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have it in my head, but I, I still do. Occasionally I have a nightmare 
with this piece of crap. Yeah, so he's still in my head. Yeah. I want him out. I can't have it. <laughs> At least I can tell people about it and that maybe that will help someone. I, I hope it will. Talking about it, getting it out, bottling it up doesn't help. <laughs> the talking about it is definitely the first step to getting it out of your head. Yeah, I think so. I have been depressed. I put on a lot of weight. I um, didn't go out of my room. I drank so much. But I eventually get over this. Mm. So, yeah, it's not easy to leave because you spend two years of your life on this. Yeah. You work so hard on this. And then you just decide, well, you know what? I'm, I'm leaving. It's hard in the beginning, but it gets better. It, it does. It just does. Because living the way I did, it's not the way to live at all for anyone. doesn't matter if you are having mental problems or you are a sociopath or not. Everybody deserves some sort of happiness and nobody deserves to be abused. And if you are abused by someone, they don't need your help. They should seek the help from someone else, from professionals. Yeah. Definitely not from their victim. No, they don't deserve your help. <laughs> no. Thank you so much for sharing. Now my next guest is Brandon, who happens to be a professional wrestler, but at the time of his story, he was a teenage boy living with his mother. His mother's boyfriend, let's just say, is a really scary dude. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm getting your uh, your levels right here. What'd you do today? Oh, man, I just uh, hung out with the kids. Uh Um, That's pretty much it, honestly. Ran a few errands. (laughs) Cool. So am I looking at your picture on Twitter, or is that something else? No, that's a picture of me, yeah. (laughs) Okay, I didn't know. Well, you're a big guy, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wrestling is just something that I got into, and thank God I did, like, given, you know, the circumstances of, you know, everything that we're about to talk about. Yeah. it's uh it's it's a pretty cool thing so yeah no that's um, awesome i never <laughs> <laughs> never known anyone that was into uh into wrestling so this is something new for me too and, and when i yeah, saw your I picture a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so i have a lot of friends that are way into you know wec i mean i was i watched wwf when i was a kid you know yeah i didn't yeah. all <laughs> so <laughs> i love wwe I, I still watch it even though you know i do it i still watch it i'm still a and yeah i want my kids to watch it because i think it's just really cool it's a unique it's it's art i mm-hmm. feel you know so yeah. it's like pretty unique it's a unique form of art so you know i fell out of it when i grew up a little bit but i definitely mm-hmm. have an appreciation i mean that there's athleticism yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> there's you have athleticism you have uh you know endurance <laughs> mm-hmm. and yep. I, there's just so many things that i'm like that's not an easy job i don't care if people say it's fake <laughs> no, that's not easy it's not easy at all but it's some of the most fun you'll ever have in your life yeah i swear and you got to perform in front of how many people have you performed in front of I think the biggest crowd I performed in front of was probably about 700 people-ish around there. That's a lot, um, man. So, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. But I've gotten to work with guys who've been in WWE and uh, I've been able to do some pretty cool stuff. So yeah. I've been pretty fortunate, honestly. 
That's cool. So I'm asking you all these questions about <laughs> wrestling. No, now. no, man, it's all good. No worries. <laughs> have you met no any, Have you met any big name wrestlers during your career? Yeah, like I met like Ric Flair, and then um, there's like uh, the guy who's in WWE now, named Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. I've met him. I've been on a couple shows with a guy in WWE named Dean Ambrose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been on the show with a few people, man. Uh, I don't know if you know who Goldust is, but I've been on a show with him too. Yeah. Um, Rhino, I've wrestled Rhino before. Wow. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> well, hopefully they were all good guys. And <laughs> yeah, they were really nice, really cool. Yeah. You always hear about, you know, these big big name people, and then you, you meet mm-hmm. them, and they're kind of shitty, and you're like, eh. Right, right. Like, man, I <laughs> so you have a story you want to tell, and mm-hmm. I, I want you to just introduce yourself, and then wherever you think is the best place to, to start. All right. My name is Brandon, and I'm from Flint, Michigan. Yeah, this will be where the story kind of takes place. Yeah. Um, I've been to Flint a couple times, actually. Yeah. As you can see, you know, being there, it's not like the best place uh-huh. that you would really want to be. There's a lot of stuff going on there after GM left in the 80s that really, like, bottomed us out. So it, like, devastated our city, and we're still feeling the effects today. We got the water crisis thing going on, which is pretty ridiculous, and yeah. that still hasn't really been solved, and... Just real quick, what do the people have to do when they want water? They have to actually, there's like stations and different places that they can go. There's like gas stations, stores. They'll have people drop off like water at their houses. Like So they're all used like bottled water. If they have to bathe, they use bottled water. I'm actually from Flint. I luckily got out of Flint and moved near the Detroit area before that all happened. I was like one of the fortunate ones. We all hear about the Flint water crisis, but... Nobody ever paints a picture of the actual things. My friends are in the thick of it and just like seeing what they had to go through and what they have to go through is just absolutely ridiculous. I just don't feel like there's a reason for there to be something like that happening in our country. You know what I mean? In a a first world country. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So it just doesn't really make much sense to me. And it kind of makes me angry because like that is my hometown. It just makes me really upset to see it just be just treated like it's just trash. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, I mean, the citizens really haven't done much to make it anything better. I was up in like Saginaw area and mm-hmm. d- different areas up there, but I, I went into Flint a few times and there's places down here in Missouri that are just as, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> Where does your story start? Okay, well, the story kind of starts from like pretty much the beginning of my life. Um, it has a lot to do with my mother. As far as I can remember, like, my mom never really had a good relationship with my father. I have a brother who is six years older than me. He has a different dad than I do. Me and him grew up together in the same household. My mom, throughout life um, and us growing up, she always was looking for a man to kind of fill the void that was missing in her life. Not necessarily for me and my brother, because we didn't really need that. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, more so for herself doing so she got into a string of bad relationships pretty much every relationship that i can remember her being in was an abusive one guys like physically abusing her there's only one guy that i can remember and that was like early on when i was probably like five who was probably like really good to her treated her pretty well as far as i could see as far as i can remember i don't know exactly the specifics of what went on obviously something since they broke up that's like the only time that i can like really remember that The big portion of the actual story takes place in 2000. My mom actually was around 40 years old 
She was working at a nursing home. She met a guy named Jeff who was 23 years old <laughs> in rare form. She was kind of, I guess she was like feeling herself at that moment and wanted to get some Stella got her groove back action on. <laughs> she went ahead and, you know, him and her kind of got into a relationship. Things progressively got more and more serious with them. My first take of him was like, he was a young guy. From what I could see of him, he was like pretty cool. Me and him got along really well. From what I saw in the beginning, he treated my mom extremely well. They laughed and joked. He was willing to help out with bills, which was like a rarity because yeah. we always struggled. When men came into our lives, they were like mooches. Instead of like helping out and helping the situation, trying to make everything better, they would just leech on to our situation to make our situation worse and drag us down. Yeah. And then it wasn't necessarily the situation with this particular person in the beginning. How old were you and your brother and how old was he at the time? At the time, I was 12 and my brother was about 18. So he's not much older than my brother. There were like different situations where me and my brother would talk about this guy and my brother expressed how he just didn't care for the guy he didn't care for the situation he just felt like there was like something about this guy that just wasn't quite right so I just like didn't really pay too much attention to it because he treated me well and from what I could see he treated my mom well and then there were instances where my brother would bring home girls you could just see on Jeff's face how jealous that he was that my brother was bringing home these attractive girls this happened several times this is like kind of a source of where him and my mom started having a little bit of friction because of the way that he would act and little things that he would say talking about how like my brother was a pretty boy and different stuff like that so i don't know he had some kind of like insecurity about that whole situation as time went on he lost his job where him and my mom worked and everything just progressively just got a lot, a lot worse. He just didn't want to do anything. He was just lazy. Anything that he wanted to do, he wanted to just go out and hustle. He didn't want to actually go and actually work a real job. And by hustle, I mean he wanted to try to move drugs. That was like a big factor in everything that happened. My mom stayed with him, you know, for a couple of years. Things started to break down with them around 2002. She just noticed Everything that was going on with him, like how he was acting, uh, he like drastically changed. He was talking about how he was selling crack and just different stuff like that. We were in a desperate situation. It wasn't like my mom was in a position to necessarily refuse the help. I guess, you know, she didn't, of course. There were different situations where my mom would have like friends that were males who would talk to her about her situation and would want to bring her out of the situation. One of the guys that she was a friend was friends with was a doctor. And this doctor like was head over heels in love with my mom and wanted to like take care of me and my brother and my mom and you know, do all this stuff for us. You're just thinking, why doesn't she go with that guy? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just like, this is like the better of just one evil, you know, because mm -hmm. this guy has just brought so much friction into everything. If we could just get out of the situation, it would be great. She just didn't want to go that route. She stayed friends with him. There was a situation where he had a birthday party. My mom went to the birthday party with him. And then uh, my mother came home. And then there was like a huge, huge argument with her and Jeff. They were like going back and forth, fighting each other. 
just going crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I am yeah, 14 at the time because 2002. Mm-hmm. I get in the situation. I'm trying to break the situation up. You know, I pull him off. I get him off of my mom. He's just so filled with rage that it's just like you can't move him. You can't do anything with him. Like he was just like on top of my mom. And I ran downstairs. My brother had a room in the basement. So I ran downstairs and I went and got my brother. And I was like, hey, Jeff is on top of mom. Like he's like acting crazy. So I run back upstairs at this time somehow Jeff got a knife and he's holding it over my mom's head. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, like this is insane. So, you know, I'm trying to like intervene. So my brother walks in the room and my brother's staying at the closet. Jeff breaks the attention from my mom and like starts looking at my brother. And my brother was like, do I ever come into your house and put my hands on your mother? Jeff was like, no. And then my brother was like, why the fuck are you doing it to mine then? Jeff was like, I don't know. And then my brother was like, get out. The whole time my brother has his hand underneath his shirt, I'm pretty positive that my brother had a gun at that point. And Jeff knew that was the situation and what was going on. Your brother's more Jeff's age, too. So he is the more threatening person in the home. So he's going. Exactly. Yes. Jeff tucks his tail between his legs and he leaves. My brother and my mom have like this big, huge argument. Jeff like engaged to my mom a year prior to this happening. And my brother snatched the engagement ring off of her hand and threw it into the woods. And it was like, this ring don't mean shit. My brother just progressively getting more fed up with the situation. Me and my brother are just like, okay, you know, we're talking to my mom. Just like, okay, so this situation is done, right? Like it's completely done. She would assure us that it was done. But then, you know, we would go away for a weekend. Like my brother would go do his thing. I would go over to a friend's house. We'd come back, and then Jeff would be in the bed with her, like, chilling, watching a movie, whatever. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? You guys just, you know, you're seeing it clearly from your point of view. This is a bad situation. He's a bad dude. He's threatening you. Right. All your mom knows is, I need somebody in my life, and possibly Mm -hmm. he's controlling her. He's manipulating her such a convoluted situation that I understand your brother, you and your brother's uh, frustrations because you're just like, just leave them. Mm-hmm. But it's never that easy. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. You know, she decided that this was the situation that she wanted to be in. You know, she wanted to be in the situation with him. Mm-hmm. Me and my brother did not. I'm 14 at the time, so I don't have much sway. I can't really do much. My brother is 21. So my brother decides that it's time for him to pack up and go. That's what my brother does. My brother leaves around Christmas. We have a, you know, we're doing all the normal Christmas stuff. We get a turkey. We make the turkey, all this stuff. And then he goes on to talk to my mom about how he wants to boil the turkey bones and bleach and hang them on the walls. Me and my mom are just like, what? Like, what's going on? So, like, my mom, like, is really starting to kind of, like get scared and nervous at this time it's clear to me at this time like this guy is on drugs clearly there's something going on like if he's not on drugs then he's definitely mentally broken i just want to be completely done with the situation as i have before situations keep happening with he and my mom they keep dissolving and breaking down finally it gets to a point where my mom is just like you know what no i don't want this anymore And he can feel that this time she's completely serious. She doesn't want this situation anymore. She means it. So, (laughs) yes, she means it this time. It was kind of a messed up situation with us, you know, us, you know, having low income. 
we just got by by the skin of our teeth. We did everything that we possibly could just, you know, to maintain ourselves. Mm -hmm. So there were different situations that left us vulnerable because of that. Normally, you know, if you're in a household and the parent works and then, you know, the kid has to come home from school, the kid has a key to get in from school. Well, our situation wasn't like that. I didn't have a key and we didn't necessarily have money to get a key made. Mm -hmm. So we would leave our side patio door unlocked. And this was like something that Jeff knew. It breaks my heart that you don't even have money for a spare key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, that's a real situation. Yeah. The first instance is, you know, I come in from school, I run upstairs. My mom has a bigger TV in her room. She had cable, all that stuff in her room. So I'm just like, this is awesome. I'm going to run and, you know, jump on mom's bed, watch TV. So I run, I jump on mom's bed, and immediately I'm stuck with just needles just sticking in her bed. Where this dude came in the house and just took hundreds and hundreds of needles and just stuck them all up into her bed. And I caught the needles. <laughs> um, so I call my mom and I tell her about the situation she calls him she goes crazy on him <laughs> oh and i forgot to tell you there was a situation prior to this where this was probably like two or three days before my mom actually decided that she was going to kick him out i'm sorry that i kind of backtracked no, you're fine man. um this is about like two or three days before my mom actually like kicked him out um me and him were like sitting there watching a movie i'm just like thinking you know everything's fine i still don't trust this dude whatever if this is the situation this is what it is so me and him are just sitting there watching a movie and then under his breath, I can hear him saying, kill, kill, kill. And then, like, I turn around. I'm just like, what? Like, what are you doing? And then he, like, looks at me and he smiles. And then he has this notepad, like a big size notepad. And he turns around and there was kill wrote on the notepad, like, hundreds of times. Like, he just wrote kill did you ever see <laughs> on the, the notepad. Did you ever see the movie The Shining? with jack nicholson and he writes yeah. all work no play makes jack a doll boy mm -hmm. hundred yeah that's what it reminds me of just okay okay yeah he probably got it from that then so <laughs> creepy uh yeah so i'm just like man what's going on so you know i tell my mom and that was one of the factors in you know him getting the boot mm -hmm. so um the situation with the needles happened my mom calls him she you know complains to him uh we try to take precautions like have you know my brother come to the house so he can, like, let me in so I'm not there alone. You know, the house isn't left to be vulnerable. Uh, we do that situation. Uh, one day, my brother decides that he just, you know, can't show up. Something happens. He had some kind of, like, emergency or something that he needed to take care of. So my brother didn't show up that day. So I come home from school. The only thing that we have to eat in the house is beans. I go to the refrigerator to get beans and then I look at it and it has like kind of a blue hue. And then like I pick up the beans and I smell them and it's like Windex. So this guy came in to the house, poured Windex into the only thing that he knew that we had to eat mm -hmm. and <laughs> was just like waiting for us to like eat it and like get sick. So that situation happens. My mom yet again calls him, you know, gives him the riot act. About three weeks go by. Uh, I'm like up late reading a book and my mom is like watching a movie. This has to be about like one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. And then 
my mom like runs in my room is like somebody is like throwing rocks at my window. I don't know what's going on. So she looks outside and it's Jeff and Jeff has a book bag and he has roses. And then he's like telling her that he's sorry. I like look at my mom and I'm like, mom, don't let him in. And then she was like, "Ah, I think I'm gonna. And I was like, mom, do not let him in. Please don't. But she decides that she's going. So I'm just like, whatever, (laughs) act like the situation isn't even going on. I don't even know why, but I was just so frustrated and fed up with the situation that I was just like, it's just going to be the same cycle. You know, they're just going to get back together. So I wasn't even really, you know, thinking anything of it. You know, they're downstairs and notice that they're downstairs for a really, really, really long time. I go downstairs and then as I hit the landing of the steps, I can hear him tell my mom, well, if you're not going to just have sex with me, then I'm just going to take it. So then I bust around the corner, me and him start fighting. I tell him to get out of the house. And he's like, okay, 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 I'll go, I'll go. He was like, but if I'm going to go, I just want all the jewelry that I got your mom back. So then, okay, so I'll tell my mom to go upstairs and get the jewelry. And then I was like, you know what, actually, no, I'll go upstairs. So I, I went upstairs with my mom. I had my mom, me and her go upstairs. We're getting all the jewelry and everything. He decides that he's going to come upstairs and he's like talking to us, you know, saying, you know, how he wants this jewelry back. And I'm just like, dude, like we're doing everything that we can to possibly get this jewelry to you. Like, I don't know what else you want. So he starts talking to us, like starts talking shit to us, uh, more so my mom. And then he reaches into his jacket and he has these black leather gloves in his jacket. So he puts on these black leather gloves. He still has his backpack on his back. I'm just like, I start to get nervous. I'm just like, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? You know? So me and my mom start to like close in on him and he knows that me and my mom are about to like fuck him up. So he hurries up and he runs down the steps and I hear the book bag hit the landing and he comes back around with a sawed off shotgun. Oh my God. So now me and my mother are staring down the barrel of a a sawed off shotgun. He, as you can imagine, take control of the situation pretty quickly he has me get into my bedroom, like doorway, mm-hmm. facing my bedroom, um, on my knees, and like my hands on my head. Uh, and my mom and him are in her room. From my doorway, I can see my mom's room, like if I turned around. So I can hear him like talking to my mom, and then I can feel him like come up behind me and put the sawed-off shotgun to the back of my head. And he's like, "How would you feel if your baby boy got blown away?" And I'm just like, <laughs> this is insane, you know? So she starts, like, pleading with him to not do anything to me. And then he, you know, starts talking to her. I hear him go back to her room. And he's, like, talking shit to her. And then I look behind me. And then he has the gun in her stomach. And, like, I get so nervous that I, like, get up and I run. And I push my mom on the bed. And I'm, like, staying in front of the gun. And I plead with him, like, man, like, please, like, if you're going to do anything, just please don't kill my mom just kill me and like at that moment i like accepted the fact that i was gonna die and it was like literally the most peace i've ever felt in my life people say when you're in life altering situations or something happens to you like your life flashes before your eyes and like that's a true statement like my life up until that point literally flashed before my eyes Mm So I'm just, like, expecting to get blown away. (laughs) I'm just waiting for it. And, like, I'm looking at this dude in his eyes. And his eyes start to well up tears. So he's just like, 
I'm going to leave. So he just doesn't even get the jewelry, doesn't get anything. He just, like, goes downstairs and, like, leaves. Me and my mom, we barricade the door, and then we call the police. The police come. They are talking to us about the situation. One of the cops gets a call that there's a guy with a sawed-off shotgun up at a convenience store that was near our house. The police are just like, oh, man, that's him. So they hurry up. They're like, you know, barricade this door again. Literally, just in 20 seconds later, boom, 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 boom. They're knocking on the doors. The police, they were like, man, like, we have to get you guys out of here and take you guys to a safe house. That's just a diversion. He has gasoline all around the house. Oh my God. He wants us to go there so he can burn the house and kill you guys. Uh. So, yeah, they took us to a safe house. That's where everything, like, ended. Nine times out of ten, I don't see you coming out of that. I don't either. I feel like if the cops were none the wiser that night, I feel like uh, me and my mom definitely wouldn't be here. So <laughs> I have no clue what happened to him. Never saw him again. My mom never talked to him. Nobody knows. My mom got a friend request on Facebook maybe like a year ago from a guy named Jeff Johnson, but it didn't look like him at all. It was like a younger guy, so she still didn't add the guy on Facebook. Just real quick, just just because I've had my share of controlling stalker people in my life and my family's lives, whenever you're telling somebody to get out of the house and and they say, oh, I just need this one thing, it's never about the jewelry. It's never about the money or the purse or whatever it is. It's it's their hook to get back inside. And when you said that he just wanted his jewelry back, that's the hook. He doesn't care about the jewelry. That's not what it's about. And, you know, you, you're in the heat of the moment. You don't know. You think you're going to pacify this guy with, okay, we'll just exactly. give you the jewelry and you'll go away. Yeah. If you find yourself in this situation, anyone that's listening, tell him you'll mail it to him. <laughs> Get him out of the house. Get her out of the house. Whatever. Because it's not about what they want, that material possession. It's just another thing of control. Just hearing you talk about that, I was like, yeah, I've been right there. Were you upset with your brother when he moved out? I was like, I was pretty upset with him, but at the same time, like I kind of understood cause I was just like, man, you know, if I could get the fuck out of here, I would, Yeah, I couldn't blame him too much. But now things are a little bit strained between me and my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like instead of taking this situation and using it as fuel to make something greater in your life you know, make yourself something greater, provide something greater for your children. So they don't have to go through the same things that we went through. He's using it as a crutch and he's, you know, wallowing in his own self-pity. I think that he let the situation get to him a little bit more than me. I kind of feel like an ass in a way for like saying that because, you know, people can't really control their feelings or the way that they feel. But at the same time, it's just like, I just can't understand that concept. My kids and my wife keep me going every day. And it's like, if you're in that same situation and you have kids and you have a wife and you have responsibilities, why wouldn't you use the situation to keep you going? Well, I I was right there with you. I felt that way about my brother and my sister and events that have happened in our lives. And I thought, why are you being the victim here? Take this and grow from it. But we can't control how other people respond to terrible things that happen. And I felt that way about my brother up until he passed away. And now I think 
man, I should have probably had a little bit more sympathy for him. Maybe I should have told him, hey, go get some therapy. See if you can find a way to turn this around, you know, because he's not going to do it on his own. So he needs help. It's a frustrating scenario, but, you know, I have faith that, you know, we're going to get everything on the rail. So that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on Mm -hmm. doing. I'm trying to, like, focus on being more in his life and trying to be more of that positive voice and just let him know that it's not too late to be proactive in, you know, achieving anything that he wants to achieve or just getting himself into a better position, you know? Yeah. You know, when you say it out loud, you feel like an ass. I've felt like an ass my entire life (laughs) being so mean to my, Mm -hmm. my family because I took zero pity on them. I got my own life here and you guys can't seem to figure it out. So I'm just going to move on. And right. in some cases, if it's like an abusive situation, yeah, sometimes you just need to move on. But if they're a victim and they're they're hurt, they're hurting, sometimes they need a little help. And you can do what you can. You can't baby them, but you can do what you can. That's all. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. I'm happy that, you know, you and your mom made it through that alive. And just, you know, to anybody out there, just if you're a woman and you find yourself in this situation, just take time and actually like figure out who this person is before you like get into a relationship with this person, especially if you have kids, because you don't know what the effects could be kids. If you're, you know, in a situation or teenagers, if you're in a situation that's like similar to this one, or, you know, somebody who has kids that are in a situation that are similar to this one, do everything that you can to possibly be proactive in their lives. Mm -hmm. So just be cautious up front. (laughs) Yes, please (laughs) be very cautious. What do we do? I mean, it's uh, it's the asshole stalker detector, and some of these guys, you know, they're right. they're real good about playing the the normal person for a long time, and it's you got to watch out for those red flags. But when you're in your when you're in a desperate state yourself, those red right. flags don't don't always get raised, and you were able to pull yourself out of that. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> like, thank you, appreciate it. Yeah. But, you know, that's just if you didn't go through those life experiences, then you wouldn't be the person that you are today. No, no, I uh, that's that's the one thing is I, you know, it's always that what if it's that butterfly effect of if that one thing changed in your life when you were a kid or as a teenager, how would your life be now? Like I told you that, you know, I don't know what happened to him. He stayed in Flint for a while and my brother went back to Flint and my brother stayed with his dad. So my brother got a job at McDonald's and he was taking care of a customer, takes the money from the customer and he looks up and it's Jeff. Jeff looks at my brother, leaves the money, doesn't get his food, just walks straight out of the McDonald's. Now that I'm older, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhat. Is there any any other points that you, you wanted to make? Um, Just uh, people that might be in that situation, just be cautious, especially if, you know, you have kids and... Mm-hmm. Kids, if you're, you know, in a situation or teenagers, if you're in a situation that's like similar to this one or, you know, somebody who has kids that are in a situation that are similar to this one, do everything that you can to possibly be proactive in their lives. Like, you know, take them out, you know, introduce them to something, try to make their lives a little bit better in the situation that they're going. And I wish I had somebody that would like have taken me to do like karate or jujitsu or, you know, just Mm -hmm. something like that to like kind of get that kind of aggression out that I was holding in that I really didn't know how to express because I was young. So if you have the means or if you can help in that way, um, 
please, by all means, do that because you could save a kid's life, literally. Every minor, every kid out, out there is living a different life. Some of them yes. are nightmarish like yours, and you were able to pull yourself out of that. And mm-hmm. I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> like, Thank you. Appreciate it. I, I feel like you you should be like the, the poster boy of like, this is this is what you can accomplish in the face of complete and utter tragedy. I would like to thank both of my guests for coming on. If you need this number, it's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's 1-800-799-7233. And you can go to thehotline.org. If you just do a quick Google search for domestic violence, typically you will get a hotline or number that can help you possibly save your life in any country that you live in. Please reach out if you are listening to this and find yourself in a similar situation. Thank you all for listening and please stay safe.